Love and marriage, love and marriage Go together like a horse and carriage You are alive to shine. I'm Beth. And I'm Kate. And this is The Shine Podcast, where we meet lots of different people and hear about the ways that they light up the world. And here's why we're doing this. We've been changed and affected by people who shine with the love of Jesus. And the world needs people like that, and like you, right now. So be encouraged. And let your light shine. Elementary. Is that disturbing if the lid wasn't sealed? I don't care. Your water's different. Mine's not the same. <laughs> Was, why? Check, it looks fine. Check it for floaties. <laughs> no, yours are all sealed. You have a different water. Mine is different. I feel like it's okay. <laughs> Greg's hawking loogies in all the water bottles. <laughs> Maybe it's Wendy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You guys ready? I just really enjoy how we're just who we are during the month of love. You know, it's Beth, it's Kate. It's like, wow, we are us. I was going to be someone else. Today. Oh, you were? <laughs> I was going to be a formal Elizabeth. It's still you. Welcome, Shine Podcast listeners. It's Elizabeth. It's Catherine. And welcome to the month of love. Our Twitter-pated lovebirds today are <laughs> Dave and Becky Osborne. Welcome to our Hello. show, The Love Show. It's good to be here. All Thank about much. All about relationships this month. How'd you like our song? <laughs> love and marriage. Change it up this year. Love and marriage. I couldn't do Celine Dion. I yeah. recommended the Titanic song. <laughs> <laughs> Decided to can't cut me off. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe how much gets cut out of our yeah. conversations. <laughs> we have heard their individual stories. Becky was one of the first guests on our podcast early on. That was so October good. 18th, 2020. Becky was on and then Dave followed up on April 4th, 2021. So if you missed their episodes, go back and check them out because they were both fabulous. So good. They have been married for almost 37 years, June 1985. They tied the knot. They have five grown kids, three son or daughter-in-laws, and six grandbabies. So we're so happy to have you guys here. If you've made it this far, 37 years, you could almost be considered experts, right? (laughs) You came in happily (laughs) together tonight. We are not marriage experts. (laughs) I will uh, make the same disclaimer my son Josh. Yes. (laughs) And they they are, if you listened last week to Josh and Megan, they are the parents to Josh Osborne. And so his great foundation came from these two. So we're very grateful for their example that they have set for us, raising Mm -hmm. kids that love the Lord, and it's been fun. We've been well blessed. We're happy to share our story and hope that it encourages someone. So tell us how you guys met and give us your love story. We met at church. I had a friend who had been begging me to go to her church, Real Life Assembly. She finally convinced me one Sunday night to go. And we went in and sat down. Guy walked up the aisle and he sat about three rows in front of me. It was Dave. My first thought was, oh, that's a good-looking guy. And my second thought about him was as he worshipped the Lord that night. I went, that guy really loves the Lord. When service was over, we went to the foyer, and Dave said to Carol, Carol, who's your friend? We started hanging out together, going to youth group, and he was in college. He was kind of helping with the youth group, and I was still in high school. 
Carol and her boyfriend and David and I, we started going out to McDonald's after youth group on Sunday nights. And then he asked me to go to the church Valentine banquet. And it was February 13th. And what I, years later, I thought, wow, Josh was born five years to the day of our first date. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. When I thought of that. We dated for three and a half years before we got married. And Mm -hmm. what did you think when you first saw her with Carol? Well, frankly, Guys are always on the lookout for a good-looking young lady, and uh, I took note of Becky and wanted to get acquainted. And it was uh, it was a few weeks before. Yeah, yeah, because he almost he broke my heart. A week later, he walked into church with another girl. Oh, boo! Yeah, (laughs) I'm just adding for dramatic effect. Yeah. (laughs) When did you know she was the one? Well, we really got acquainted when the church had New Year's. Right party for the youth. And that was when we really sat down and talked. And I realized that she was someone that I could spend my life with. She was authentic and just a woman that I could spend my life with. So you knew it, it the was, first deep conversation. Yeah, it was the one. It was then, yeah. I knew pretty quick. I wouldn't say it was that fast for me. but within a, What was the deciding factor for you? I don't know. It was just... Who he was, I can remember having these long conversations about what we saw ourselves doing in our old age. You know, we both had that same goal. We wanted to raise a family that loved the Lord. And that was, I knew we were on the same wavelength, those same goals in mind. And so here you are, 37 years later, you've raised a family who loves the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yes, we have. But you're not sitting on your rocking chair porch. (laughs) No, not yet. Reminiscing about that yet. No, no, not yet. So you guys raised five kids in many, many, many activities. You guys were a sports family and Mm -hmm. had great athletes and did a lot of traveling. And you were in seasons where you worked full time when you're you didn't work where you homeschooled where you did work full time. So all sorts of seasons in that we're talking today about we're being really authentic about marriage and some of the struggles that can happen in marriage and how we work through those things. So can you guys share with us a struggle that you've had in your marriage raising kids and how you worked? that out? Well, you know, there's always struggles raising kids. One of the things that I found in that process was choosing battles. What really matters? Is this something worth getting into an argument with my kids or having them get upset with me over causing a rift between us, possibly? And those things are hard to to see sometimes, but things like hair that's probably not something worth fighting over because hairstyles change, hair grows back or can be cut off or whatever the case may be. <laughs> Although I can't ever remember any of your kids having no, strange we hair. Didn't, uh, no, <laughs> no, we didn't. No, they always have, have nice hair. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> long just wavy hair. <laughs> as an example, you know, music yeah. is another one. When I was growing up, it was music was a big deal with my dad and uh, I felt like I made good choices, and I wanted to be affirmed in my choices, and I wasn't very often. (laughs) And I resolved to be different with my family to whatever extent I could, you know, with my children. And I think I did pretty good at that. Pretty good job at that. Were you guys usually on the same page about which battles were important? I would say overall the big stuff, yeah. 
It was the little stuff, the day-to-day stuff. I I came into marriage with, I was a door slammer and a yeller. <laughs> and David is not. And he would be like, why are you doing that? And he really showed me a different way. I didn't need to fly off the handle like that. It wasn't that big of a deal for those moments. But <laughs> one of the biggest things was he would come home at night. And you know how it is with moms. We've had it. We've been at home all day with little kids and every little thing is just built and built and built. And so it just takes that one little thing and he'd be looking at me like I had two heads. He'd be like, calm down. It's not that big of a deal. And I'd be like, you have no idea what I've been dealing with. (laughs) Josh made that statement even last week where they've kind of gotten to trade roles a little bit and he's been at home Mm -hmm. with Callie and he's like, man, (laughs) that is hard. It was like, oh, it's so good to... Get a different perspective. Yeah. That reminds me of another, I guess I'll call it an argument, conversation that we had (laughs) almost in our early years, kind of a running battle. Yeah. Who has the hardest job here? I go out all day and I'm in in the workforce and dealing with stuff and I'm doing it for you, you know, and this is, uh, this is tough. And then I have to travel and do, you know, you can stay at home and just kind of hang out. bonbons with yes. your feet <laughs> on yes. the floor. Yeah. Uh, like telenovelas all day. Watching soap know, operas. Right. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, at some point we came around to the realization that neither of us wanted the job that the other had. They're both hard. And Becky was made to be at home and raise the kids. And I was made to support the family and to support her however I could in the times that I was there. And we found ourselves content Mm -hmm. with those roles, Mm -hmm. with the realization that they're both really hard jobs. (laughs) (laughs) And they're both important. Yes, Yes. both Both vital to raising the family. When it came to parenting... Did you come in with, this is how it's going to be, this is how I imagine the family running? Did both of you come in with those ideas? Yeah, I think we uh, we were pretty much on the same page with discipline yeah. yeah, and what should and shouldn't be done or said, and we supported each other in that. Yeah. And that was a learning process. We used resources from Focus on the Family a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we read their books, listened to their broadcasts. And it helped us a lot. Mm-hmm. We did that together, so we kind of learned together and uh, agreed together mm-hmm. on how that would be done. So it's always interesting that, you know, there's not a lot of training on parenting. I think individuals base their parenting knowledge on their experience right. and how their parents were raised. And then when you have, you bring a couple together and they have very different experiences and expectations that sometimes there's a lot of working through what your parenting style as a couple is going to look like because you're both bringing these preconceived notions and mm-hmm. could be polar opposite households that you were raised in. Mm-hmm. And now you're here with your own and yeah. you got to figure out a new path right. for the two of you. And society and culture change changes as the years go by too we had such great role models with our parents of just longevity of the marriage becky's parents were married 56 years when her mom passed and uh, my mom passed last year and they celebrated their 70th 
wedding anniversary. And their parents before them had long marriages. Mm -hmm. And to make it that long, you have to be able to work through things. (laughs) So, you know, we had that role model. It was an excellent role model. And I believe, you know, an example to us of this is what it's all about. You make a commitment and you stick with it. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot um, over the years, that love isn't a feeling or an emotion. Love is actually, it's, it's an action verb and it's a commitment. Love is a choice. It's that waking up beside someone every day. And some days you wake up and go, I don't know. I just, I, whatever. But you make that choice that day to love that person. And when you do that choice, I think God is so faithful to bring those feelings back even stronger than they were before. I said on the way over, you know, you know, you're standing at the altar and you can't imagine ever loving them more than you do in that moment. (laughs) And yet 37 years on, I can say, I love him more. And in a deeper, more fulfilling way than I did in that moment. You can't ever explain that to someone mm-hmm. until you've walked that path. That making those day-to-day choices when when it is hard. Because if anybody that tells you marriage is easy isn't being authentic. But I do, I, I've always kind of like, I don't care for that term that or marriage is a lot of work. I'm like, that sounds like drudgery. And marriage shouldn't be. I'm not saying it's not for some people, but I never went at it that way. It was a commitment. It was, yeah, you have to do some hard work, but marriage itself is fulfilling. Marriage itself brings joy and happiness. And yeah, it's messy sometimes, you know, you you fail one another, you, you know, you argue But in the end, it should be a fulfillment. I really like how you said that the feelings come back. Because I feel like in society, we we get to those moments where you're like, the feelings are gone or I don't feel like (laughs) love or loving you today. It's oftentimes when people give up. But if you can push through that, those feelings come back. They Mm -hmm. return. And I just love how you said that. Like they come back and they end up making their way more deeply into you, Mm -hmm. which is wild to me. I was listening to a podcast this week about marriage and it was so interesting because the guy was talking about how our culture is so focused on the romance of marriage and romantic love and that that's Mm -hmm. not what marriage in the Bible is based on or even many other cultures. But we as Americans have put so much stress on the romantic mm-hmm. part of marriage or the man- those feelings. And those feelings can be strong one day and gone the next day. And it, it was just really interesting to me that as Americans, how much focus we put on that. You know, when people find themselves not feeling romantic, they think, mm-hmm. oh, I got to trade this in for a new one that I feel romantic <laughs> yeah. with instead yeah. of realizing that that's not the key. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend one time who was going through a difficult time, and he had been approached by another woman other than his wife, and she was trying to seduce him. And we were talking about this, and I I said, think about your wife, what you've been through with her, and your children, and everything you've been through together up to this point. Ask yourself if you could have the depth of relationship with this other woman that you have with her. Like, you will never 
have a relationship with that kind of debt with anyone else than your wife. And you can't throw that away lightly. And people do all the time <laughs> to looking for, for the next romance or whatever. Something I think we need to keep in mind. And the real romance is in the depth of that relationship. That's true romance. It's not the flowers and the candlelight dinners. And it's, it's the day-to-day things. It's the coming together, working together. It's a good thing because you don't get I very don't get <laughs> <laughs> It's not his thing. <laughs> but it's not mine either. So, But I do get flowers occasionally and they come, <laughs> they come sometimes just because. Some all the sweeter. So recently you guys have had a very trying experience. Becky got COVID in August and had a really rough bout with it. That has, you know, put a toll on you. It's you're still working your way out of that back back into health and wholeness. But talk to us about how you guys navigated that season where one of you is very ill, and you still have (laughs) responsibilities at home. And how did you guys work that out? First of all, he was very angry with me because I wouldn't go to the doctor. And finally, he and he and Kristen were just like, you're going. And took yeah. my oxygen level. I was 75. And I was like, I don't want to go. And Kristen said, well, mom, you've got two choices. You're either going by car or by ambulance. Those are your only choices. <laughs> Did you not think you were sick? Or? No, I didn't feel that <laughs> sick. I mean, I had a fever. And knew that I was weak, but I, I'd already spent a week in bed. So I just thought it was that. But I kept saying it's just the flu. Yeah, she was it wasn't. obviously very sick. And she kept saying, I'm not short of breath or anything like that. I'm fine. I just need rest. And, and so we let it go until it got to a point where I said, I am doing something about this tonight. And about that time, that very day, one of her co-workers called me and said, Dave, you know, I've been getting texts from Becky and they didn't raise any red flags with me, but I talked to her on the phone today. I am really concerned. And I said, well, I am too. And I'm at the point where I'm going to do something. And She told me a story of someone else that she knew who had gotten COVID. And she said, you know, they went and got a pulse oximeter and checked his oxygen level. It was 75%. And and he went to the hospital. And so I said, okay, I can do that. (laughs) And I went out almost immediately, found a pulse oximeter, brought it home, clipped it on her finger, and it was like 75%. (laughs) I said, you're supposed to go when it's. Under, under 90. 95 90. or 90. Yeah. I said, okay, that's it. We are going to the hospital. So that was the beginning of it. And it went downhill from there for the next few days. And every day, instead of getting better, it got worse. She was in isolation. We were not allowed to go see her. And, uh, I realized the day we took her to the hospital that I had COVID too because I couldn't smell or taste anything. (laughs) It's funny how that comes on like, and how you realize it. But I finally realized it. I quarantined and Kristen quarantined. So we were at home alone and Becky was at the hospital alone. And that was really hard. 
that was the hardest part of the experience. And uh, Becky told me later during those days, she really didn't know what was going on or care what was going on around her. She was just... You were the, just fighting for your life. Breathing yeah, was so yeah. hard. Yeah. yeah. That was all yeah. she could focus on. Yeah. I don't remember a lot of those early days, but coming home, I think after 26 days, you know, I came home in a wheelchair. I came on six liters of oxygen. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it to the bathroom. So we had to have a bedside commode and it took everything just to transfer from the bed to the, to the bedside and back again. And David and Kristen had to come, completely take care of me. I mean, to the point where I was like, I need a shower, but I can't do this. So he put me in the shower and I sat on a shower chair and he showered me, you know, and scrubbed my head. And, you know, those things that you just, that's the nitty gritty of marriage. That's when, and he said, we've had the example of both of our fathers taking care of our mothers. And that's what he did for me. And it was hard. It was I think we all had this, oh, well, I'll get home and I'll get better within a couple of days and we'll move on. And it it wasn't that way. It was a long haul. It was many weeks and many months. And it was a lot harder than we anticipated it being. And that was, that was trying. You know, he was working. He, his mother was ill. His parents lived next door to us. And so he stops every night after work to check on his parents and you know his mom actually went into the hospital three days after i came home and so he's dealing with that and it was just this <laughs> they knew us really well yeah at the, the hospital, hospital. <laughs> and i i couldn't be left alone so david and Kristen both had to leave and okay call bob and deb and see if one of them can come and stay with me while they had to go away you know it was a lot harder than we thought. and yeah. um, But through it all, mm-hmm. there was just the joy of having her mm-hmm. with us. Yeah, because it was close. <laughs> because <laughs> it, uh, you know, it was going in a bad direction there at first. And uh, she never had to go to ICU, thankfully. But was she was like right it, on that tipping point. And, uh, in fact, the day that the nurse thought she was probably going to be going to ICU and uh, because she was not getting better, she was not responding to treatment. And she called me and said, um, we're going to let you come in to see your wife. And I was thankful for that, but I also knew it was probably not a good thing that they were letting me come in to see my wife. It was that... Right about that time that you turned the corner. Right, I did. I did. And you just had a seat, Dave. I did. He's, and he sat for an hour and held my hand because I couldn't do anything. I just slept off and on, and we tried to talk, but it was exhausting to talk. She had a mask, a breathing mask, and getting 60 liters per minute of oxygen forced into her lungs. But the isolation that COVID imposes on people is is not healthy for the patient. Of course, it's it's meant to protect everybody else, but it's not healthy for the patient. And I believe that it was, mm-hmm. you know, having her loved ones with her that helped her turn that corner. And after that, then they, they let us come in regularly. 
because we obeyed their regulations. You can do this, this, and this, be here for an hour, and then leave. It was a difficult time, but like I said, there was joy in the midst of that because she did get better. And she came home, and she continues to improve, and we're thankful for that. I found this thing on Facebook one night, and I sat there, and I read it, and I said, I got to read this to you, and I cried all the way through it because it was about a daughter. I stood in my bedroom doing a make my makeup when I heard my parents cross the hall in the bathroom. My father was groaning in immense pain, and luckily my mother was there to help him. I was a self-absorbed 20-something at the time, bouncing back and forth between two men like a rubber ball. But this moment between my parents struck me. My father moaned. It's okay, Chris, my mother said to him. I'm here. That was the start of my father's painful side effects from his prostate cancer years prior, something that would only get worse with time. As I leaned toward the mirror, slipping mascara onto my lashes, I heard more grumbling from my father. I froze. I was stuck in their moment with no place to go. I heard a clank in the bathroom. A mess was made out of my father's control. My mother would be the one to clean it up. I'm so sorry, my dad said. It's okay, Chris, she said. I'm here. After I was done with my makeup, I sat on my bed with the door cracked open. While I was nervous about my dad's health, tears fell onto my jeans because I finally realized something. This is marriage. Marriage isn't found at the big wedding, the trendy date nights, or even hours spent together on the couch watching Netflix. Marriage is found in the darkness, with one spouse helping the other during a time that would be humiliating to share with anyone else. As young girls and boys, we watch movies and read stories about happy endings, blissful beginnings, and comedic in-betweens. But true romance is found when two people need each other, are vulnerable with one another, and can wholeheartedly depend on one another during the darkest times in life. I sat on my bed, and at that moment, I decided to stop bouncing. I wanted my future to look like my parents. Imperfect, but beautiful. My parents' marriage and my marriage have been full of dips and peaks, but witnessing the true love in their moment will forever keep reminding me that marriage is found in the toughest spots in life, even the bathroom. And I sat and I bawled when I read it to him because I said, this is what you did for me. And he's done it many times. He's done things when I've had C-sections and got an infection in my incision and the things the, the man's had to do for me, you know. You don't want anybody else to see, but he willingly does those things for me. And I've not yet been put very much to the test for him, and I hope I can live up to what's his standard when he needs me. That's better than flowers. Exactly. <laughs> That's what marriage is about. <laughs> People don't talk about that a lot. Marriage in the in the thick of going through cancer or long-term illness or a very scary, in this case, COVID. Because, you know, this is new, mm-hmm. relatively new to us, all things considering. And what was God to you in that time or in this season where you've had to walk through th- something that's scary and illness? and Well... You know, it's human nature, I think. I hope so, because I've done it a lot, to ask God, what are you doing here, God? You know, why is it necessary? I'm really thankful Becky's getting better, and she's still with us. You know, very thankful for that. But why did she have to get sick in the first place? (laughs) You know, couldn't you have done something about that? And I think God is big enough to handle those questions, and we don't have answers for all those But I'm just being honest. I ask those questions in my prayer time, and then I say, thank you that you're with us through the tough times, through this, through this experience and in all the tough times. 
we lean heavy on our relationship with the Lord in those times. For myself, I've been really <laughs> working on my relationship with the Lord. I've really been investing in it over the these last two years since COVID hit. You know, I, I've spent more time with the Lord. I've been reading my Bible through several times. And, you know, just this kind of looking for teaching books and those kinds of things. And listen to lots of podcasts. And I watch YouTube videos of different preachers and... <laughs> And all through last year, I was getting up very early in the morning and having prayer time before work. So I really been investing and I felt like I got sidelined with COVID because I couldn't read. I could make out words and, you know, I could read it, but to read was absolutely exhausting. And so I could do nothing but lay in the bed and watch TV and sleep. I was very frustrated by that, but also there were times when I knew I was tipping. I knew things were going bad, and I would just lay there in the hospital bed with my hands laid out before me and just said, Lord, I don't have any breath. Just fill me with your breath. And I think it was that time of prepping. I had stuff in my storehouse for those times when I couldn't physically read, there was stuff in my storehouse. So I feel like God had prepared me in some manner for that, for that season and probably for many more seasons to come. Now I'm happy to say that I'm getting to the point where I'm investing that time again, that I can do that again. That reminds me of the parable of the 10 virgins, how five of them had stored Mm -hmm. up oil. Mm -hmm. You know, they had stewarded and invested in, the the analogy is the oil is like the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They stored it, and the other five didn't and ran out, and they were like, hey, give us some of yours. And they were like, we can't. That's something you've got to be stewarding mm-hmm. ahead of time. And so the importance of making sure we are stewarding our relationship with the Lord and mm-hmm. When it, those times in life come where we've got to draw on relationship that we have, it's there. And if we don't have it, it's it's harder to, to get that when you need that. That's a beautiful picture of how you guys went through that tough time in your marriage. And, you know, you're still working on your health. You came in here with no wheelchair, no oxygen. And, <laughs> and no you cane. Have a, and no cane. You have a beautiful, <laughs> cute little haircut. So we're, we're happy that you're here and with us Thank as you, well. So yeah. I just love how when we're talking about the best of marriage, the best of marriage is when you can get to the point where there's no or not much ego left. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of pride left yeah. mm-hmm. and there's a lot of humility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like marriage is really good for us that we do have someone else mm-hmm. when the hard stuff hits, mm-hmm. but also you have someone else that's going to sharpen you and get all the crap off mm-hmm. of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it's an ego buster. It's a yeah. pride buster. It's, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a pusher for humility. So you guys had mentioned that you had set up some policies for your marriage early on that <laughs> I like policies. <laughs> Tell, tell us about some of those good. policies that you had. Love it. Oh, the big one. And uh, our kids, when they hear this, they're going to be like, oh, no, not again, because they hear this all the time. You know, when you go to a wedding, they say, you know, what's your advice what's to the bride and groom? And <laughs> this is the piece of advice we always give. And we got it from your mom and dad, yeah. right? They said they never went to bed angry. If there was a problem, they worked it out before they went to sleep. So we 
applied that to our marriage. And I think for the most part, we've stuck with that pretty good over the years. And there have been some really late Late nights. nights. But if there's an argument or, you know, an issue that we're talking and we can't come to an agreement, we keep going until we come to a resolution of some kind. That's it's not always... You know, the greatest resolution that (laughs) both of us are looking for, but it's a compromise, you know? And when we get to that point, then we can go to sleep. Do you you find (laughs) as you're aging, you tend to agree quicker? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, let's just make a decision. Let's get some time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it puts pressure on the discussion. We're not going to sleep until we're done here. Yeah. So let's get done here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my favorite story is the time we were up to like two or three in the morning. I mean, it was the longest we were ever up and having this massive argument. When I say argument, we're not screamers. We disagree. And, you know, we can raise our voices slightly, but not, we're not yellers. Anyway, we just all evening, all night, just argued and argued. And finally, I said something to him like, but you said, And he looked at me and he said, I did not say that. And I was like, yes, you did. And he said, no, what I said was, and he said it in a different way. And to this day, I don't remember what the argument was, but it was, it was a lesson. It seemed pretty important at the time. Yeah, it it was a lesson (laughs) in communication that, and it was something Dave Striefler had preached about years ago about Often, what you think you say, it can be totally different from what you say. And what the person heard you say can be completely different from what they think they heard you say. So David said (laughs) something, and I thought he'd said something else. It turned out in the end, we weren't that far apart. And within like 20 minutes, we had come to a conclusion and we went to bed. (laughs) So I learned to say really early on in an argument... What I'm hearing you say is, <laughs> That's so good. Uh-huh. Yeah, and yeah. it really works. It really takes away a lot of. Let's do that before. Yeah, 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Right. what I hear you say. <laughs> and we were talking on the way over here about the older we get, we don't have that many arguments. And like, mm. why is that? Well, part of it is we've come to understand each other's trigger points and avoid those. Yeah, because we want to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. It's pretty icy under the covers, even <laughs> if you're working things out. <laughs> I like that. But anyway, there's that. And then also over the years, just being together and going through life together and all the messiness and the hard times and the good times, and get your rough edges worn off. And uh, you're not so willing to you know enter into those situations that will result in a in an argument yeah. mm-hmm. that's another matter of i think choosing your battles what is important here what am i willing to sacrifice to make my point or to get what i want and i think over the years you know we love what we've created in our marriage and our family and we would never want to do anything to destroy that So I think even though you don't really think about it in those terms, we hold that dear to us. We're willing to 
maybe overlook something that is an irritation. You know, yeah, you talk about the big things, but sometimes you just have to let the irritations go and say, move on. It's not that big of a deal. Get over yourself. You know, I think we're, we're better at that. The older we get, I think we're better at that. So you guys have claimed that you're not marriage experts, but you do have 37 years experience. <laughs> and I think you've become experts of being married to each other. That's oh, really good. good. That's, that's a good, good. one. So what would you have done different now that you know what you know in your marriage? You know, for my part, I work hard and I take pride in that. And I follow the example of my father. In that, you know, he was a hard worker. He worked multiple jobs to give his family what what he gave us, you know, a a good home, a good education, and an opportunity to do something better than he was able to do. So I have spent a lot of time at work. And even now, I leave home at about 7.15 and I get home at about 6.15. So 11 hours of the day are devoted, really devoted to work. And that's the lion's share of my waking hours. So can I say that I regret working so hard? There are times that I wish I didn't have to do that, you know, that I could have spent more time at home. But I really try to foster an attitude in myself of not regretting anything that I've done and not having these great images or or dreams of of a a life that is easier, much easier in the future. I want to live in the moment and not regret anything that I did or any choices that I made and just love what life brings. And so I can't say that I would do anything different in the spirit of that (laughs) attitude (laughs) with regards to my work. Work is necessary to raise a family, obviously. And the important thing, and and we've talked about this many times over the years, is when I was at home, when I was with the kids, I was present. And that was, Becky has told me many times over the years, that was, in her book, the most important thing. Yeah. The kids always understood. Dad's got a job, and his job requires some travel. And so he would be gone. But when he was home, he was home. He wasn't off playing golf. He wasn't off at a bar. He was home and he was invested in what we were doing as a family or the kids were doing. And so I said, the kids don't really, I mean, yeah, they remember dad traveled, but they don't see him as an absent father. He was always there in their minds because when he was there, he was there. And I think that was the most important thing. How about you? Well, (laughs) I was thinking because he did travel and I was at home with the little kids, he'd get home and I'd be like, take me out of here. And he would have been gone maybe for a week, maybe two, maybe three, who knows? And he'd look at me and he'd be like, I've been on the road. I want to be at home. So... There were many arguments and lots of crying on my part about, get me out of here. And he'd be so frustrated because he just wanted a home-cooked meal and to be with a family. (laughs) And so I think I regret that I couldn't give him what he needed for even a day or two. That I didn't allow him that time of adjustment home before I made my take me out. You know, (laughs) things would have been much more pleasant but I finally got the message. Yes, he just planned and it. And I realized when I get home, I'm eating out one more meal. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. 
sorry. And that's okay. But later on, it's it's those little things you did when you were young and you were just more self-absorbed and you were just like, you look back and you go, man, if I had just been a little bit more gracious, mm-hmm. if I had just, you know, so that would be my regret. Things, something I would do differently yeah. if I could. It's really good. Mm-hmm. We make a lot of problems for ourselves and our (laughs) self-absorbedness. We make a lot of issues. What kind of encouragement do you have for married couples out there or dating couples? I'm sure that would be good to take. Well, I think uh, taking off on what I said earlier, I think just live in the moment. Those are the important things. We're working, working, working towards this dream or vision of the future or regretting something from our past or whatever. We let the good things that are happening right now go past, you know, unnoticed and unappreciated. And it's something I do not claim to be an expert at that by any stretch, but (laughs) I'm trying to be more focused on that for myself and, and in our family and our relationship. I would encourage Everybody. It doesn't apply just to couples. It's couples, singles, and, and everybody else. Live in the moment, whatever that means for you. My encouragement would be that marriage is worth it. Marriage is worth the effort. It's worth the sacrifices. It's worth the investment, the time, you know, to build that relationship to come, you know, and we still have lots more to go here, you know, and lots more learning to do. But to have built this foundation is so worth it. Don't neglect that. Don't think it's not valuable because here we're looking at being empty nesters really very quickly, like, in a couple of days, <laughs> it's that richness, that fullness that that is there. It's totally worth it. Totally mm-hmm. worth it. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your expertise and your story and being vulnerable and authentic with us about your 37 years of marriage. Mm-hmm. You guys are such a great example to our church community and all of us that are watching you and seeing the fruit of the work that you guys have done and, and the beautiful family that you have raised and seeing their beautiful families too is mm-hmm. an inspiration. So we're grateful for you guys. Thanks for mm-hmm. coming on the show. Thank and- you. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. (laughs) Make sure you tune in next week for another special guest. Bye.